all he had to offer were five loaves of stale bread and two dried out fish. A meager meal for one, transformed into a miracle still remembered today. When we read and hear this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we tend to focus on the outcome, the miracle, and all that it produced. But by focusing on the good stuff, the fun and exciting stuff, I think we miss the most crucial part of this story. So as we read this story together this morning from John chapter 6, I invite you to hear it just a little bit differently. Draw your attention to the child. Ponder how he might be feeling, what he might be experiencing within the words written in the pages of the biblical narrative. Join with me as the words are on the screen. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. My friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? God of all, we thank you for the witness of our children, for the ways they are seeking your face and experiencing your love. May we open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the ways that they are leading us. Amen. The boy, the young boy, is so easy to miss in this story. 
mentioned only once, the witness of the child gets lost in the chaos of the disciples' hurry to find a solution to this dilemma of hunger. In their quest to to take the reins of this problem for their own, and the experience of this boy is placed to the side in favor of the resulting miracle. We are so often quick to get to the good news of food for all that we forget that this miracle would not have taken place in this way without the unnamed boy. Without this boy, there would not have been loaves to break and fish to multiply. Without this child, a crowd of over 5,000 might still be hungry or be fed in a not-so-miraculous way. But they are not hungry because of a child. His appearance in the biblical narrative might have only lasted for one sentence, but held within that sentence is an entirely untold perspective, a piece of the story that is absolutely necessary Crucial, I'd say, to the solution our frantic disciples are so desperate to find. What led this boy to the hillside by the Sea of Galilee that day? What was playing through his mind as Andrew's eyes scanned the crowd? What brought him to that place of offering? To answer these questions, I think we might have to put our imagination hats on and ponder together who this boy might have been. Scripture gives us a few hints. He is in the crowd of people gathered on the hillside by the Sea of Galilee, so it would be safe to assume that he probably lived in a small fishing village close by that area. He also has a pre-packed lunch of fish and loaves. The rest of this story, though, is blank space, unwritten, and unknown to us. So we are free to put on something I call scriptural imagination and use what we know as guideposts and allow ourselves to turn to wonder about who this young boy might be for us. Who do we envision in this role? Like any good character of a story, our young boy needs a name. And so friends, I would love your input on who, what our boy's name should be. Anyone got any, any names? Come on. Philip, any others? We're not using Christian. I tried that at the first service, and I got way too confused. Uh, Christian is my three-year-old son. So, great name, but not, not this service. I like Philip. Do we have any others? Ezra. Ezra. Ooh, Ezra. Y'all, I'm in a dilemma. These are good names. Y'all are good at this. I like Ezra. Let's use Ezra this time, though Philip is a great name. I heard that one first, but let's go with Ezra. 
Today is the day. Ezra has heard all about this great teacher, how he can heal the sick and give sight to the blind. He has heard all of the wonderful teachings and how he has traveled all over the known world, places that Ezra hasn't even thought of yet. And now he's here. Jesus is coming to Ezra's village. As he readied himself for a day of learning, we can imagine that Ezra's mother was lovingly packing a lunch sack for a day away, reminding him of all the chores that he will have to finish when he returns home that evening. I like to imagine that Ezra's mom was, might have placed a little something extra, a love note, perhaps, in his knapsack, like my own mom used to do when she sent me off to school. Finally, after his bed was made and his teeth were brushed, Ezra was ready to head out the door to see the great teacher. After a long morning of hearing Jesus' stories and hearing him answer questions from the crowd, Ezra's tummy starts rumbling. As he reaches for his lunch sack, he glances around at the other children who are gathered around Jesus as well. These children were also clenching their tummies as their parents gently patted their backs, saying, I know you're hungry, but there's nothing I can do about that right now. Can you say I, tell I say this a lot to my three-year-old? Ezra peers up at Jesus and the disciples. He overhears Philip say, even if we've worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. Ezra had just heard Jesus speaking about love and grace and compassion as he looked at his meager meal, the fish he caught, the loaves his mama lovingly made. And he couldn't hold all of this to himself. So Ezra stood, made his way to Andrew, who was off to the side getting a final head count with a furrowed expression on his face. I can imagine Ezra saying, Here, sir. You can have my lunch. A miracle made possible through the simple offering of a child. For me, this is where the story draws its power. Not only from Jesus breaking and multiplying, but in the courageous witness of this child. Friends, I think we can learn a lot about what faith looks like from Ezra and from the children who are in our own lives, our children, grandchildren, the children we see running around this church, the children who courageously sang their hearts out at our last service, or Gracie who offered their words as a prayer 
for us, the church. These moments of self-offering where Ezra and others made a conscious choice to give of their resources to Jesus, to use, was brave and bold. And I believe that this is what it means to have faith like a child. Childlike faith is brave. It was a brave choice for the young boy in our story to stand up and offer his food to an adult that he had never met. I can only imagine how intimidating it must have been to gaze upon the disciples who were bickering back and forth about what they would do about this hunger problem. Our children who stood on the stage this morning were brave. I know firsthand that standing in this place is not an easy task. Sometimes it's overwhelming and scary. And yet, our children did it. And they did it with smiles on their face and little hand motions to go along with the words that they were singing. That's some hard stuff right there. Our children are brave when they raise their hands to answer questions for Mr. Brian in Sunday school. And I believe even more so when they ask questions in return. Childlike faith is brave, and it's also bold. This week, Mr. Brian loaned me this children's Bible in preparation for this morning. And Christian, my favorite three-year-old, has boldly claimed that this Bible is now his. But not because he wants to keep it all to himself, but because he simply knows and believes that the stories of Jesus and the illustrations within the, the binding of this book are stories meant for him and for everyone, but particularly him. I told Brian he can have this book back because ours is now on the way. I wonder if our young boy from the story this morning was able to be brave because he knew something that the disciples had forgotten. He had heard the tales and the stories of Jesus passed through the town. But more than that, he believed that Jesus could make something out of a simple meal. As crazy and outlandish as that possibility sounded to the disciples, this boy knew who could provide in times of crisis and believed it to be true. So he stood on that truth and offered all of his resources, those five loaves, those two fish, for Christ to use to transform hunger into satisfaction at least for that moment in time. Here at Trinity United Methodist Church, we claim that we are called to make disciples for the transformation of the world by being courageous witnesses of Christ. 
And I don't say that as a PR moment or as Trinity's favorite hype woman. But I genuinely believe that this is what it looks like to have a childlike faith, to be courageous witnesses, bold and brave, willing to step out in faith to transform the world. Our children are courageous witnesses to their faith for what they know and believe with their whole hearts. And they offer themselves fully to that experience. You can see it in their eyes in the way that they throw themselves into the holy moments so that they might receive and offer the most that they can. We can hear it in, the vo- in their voices as they sing over and over again, Jesus loves me. We feel it, this courageous witness, each and every time we pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is up to in our children's lives, empowering them to do things that simply take our breath away. Yesterday, I had the privilege of partnering with a young lady at the Cost of Poverty experience that was held at our Faith Mission campus. You heard our friend Megan talk about that last week. She was the only child who chose to walk through that simulation. We spent over an hour together walking a mile in the shoes of a family of two struggling simply to survive in an experience of poverty. It was overwhelming and emotional for me, and I couldn't imagine for her. But this child, this young woman who walked alongside me, was brave, stepping into a space of the unknown, And then, after our time together walking through the simulation and in our moment of debrief together, she was also bold in thinking of ways to involve other children her age next year, hoping to lead her friends through this experience as someone who has been there for herself. She is a courageous witness. Friends, we say that our children of all ages, all the way from preschool up through high school and college, are the future leaders of this world. But if you look closely enough and pay close attention, they are those leaders now, showing us what it looks like to take a step out in faith inviting us into an experience where we can follow their example. They are bold. They are brave. And they are faithful. They are courageous witnesses for Jesus Christ, transforming our world right before our eyes, right here and right now. And we, the adults, have a lot to learn. Thanks be to God.